0: Hello, and welcome to the 10th installment of the Rocket IT Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hyatt, and today we have the honor of interviewing Suzanne Massino, occupational therapist turned tech entrepreneur. During her 25-year tenure in the healthcare field, Suzanne has served as a therapist, a recruiter, a leader, and business owner. With her recent launch of healthcare tech startup, Matchwell, Suzanne is breaking new ground, not just in her own life, but possibly in an entire industry. Now, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Suzanne to the show. Suzanne, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Hey, you know what? Uh, You and I, let's start right off the bat here. We know each other, right? We're friends. We've uh, known each other for a number of years now. Absolutely. Uh, and so uh, it's been a pleasure uh, spending time with you and uh, your husband, Nick. Our families have spent time together, and so it's been a lot of fun. Uh, and one of the things I think is really cool uh, is that early on, and I, th- I think it was the very first time that you and I met, was at a, uh, an event uh, that was here in town. Your husband, Nick, said, to, hey, you should talk to Suzanne. She's really interested in entrepreneurship. and you and I sat down right there at the party and I we hung out for a while. That. Do you remember that? that and so is we were right. talking about uh, your aspirations for uh, owning a business someday and, and spending more time in sort of the entrepreneurial field. And at the time, you were working for somebody else, that's right? right? It was something uh, completely different. That's right. Kindred
1: so, Healthcare. Yep. And right. now look at you. Now look at you. Yeah. So that is <laughs> uh, that
0: is so awesome. So I went through in, in preparation for our podcast conversation, I was looking through your uh, LinkedIn background and it's just, Kind of trying to catch up with uh, what you've done and what you've accomplished over the years, and you've had a long career in the healthcare space, okay. and most of that's really been in the recruiting space specifically mm-hmm. uh, in healthcare, right? That's right. But I would like to kind of go back to the beginning because your formal training, uh, is op- occupational therapist, right? That's right. Yeah. So tell me about that. You thought you were interested in healthcare and actually practicing medicine, mm-hmm. right? Is that's that, Is right. that what we call that?
1: That's exactly right.
0: Uh, and it seemed like early on, within the first year or two, you found yourself in a leadership role.
1: That's right. <laughs> How yeah. did that happen? Um, but, uh, well, yeah, to back it up, yeah, I wanted to be an occupational therapist. I was one of those rare kids that knew what I wanted to do by the age of 12 oh, due wow. to a personal experience. Oh. A good friend of mine, um, it's kind of a fairy tale story, but was in a motorcycle accident oh, and a head injury. Um, ended up in a coma. And I would go to visit her, and worked with the therapist on getting her healed. She ended up full recovery. She's a mom of three children now. So oh my yeah, it worked out really well. But I was Can twelve. You imagine
0: three kids. That oh, I like can't. A lot. Right? That would be crazy.
1: Who would ever do that? <laughs> um, but yeah, I just enjoyed it as a kid, watching the scene, the house. I was just excited about the whole hospital. It didn't scare me. I was just intrigued by all of it, especially the therapist working to kind of get her back on her feet and mm-hmm. recovered. And so they would teach me ways to work with her, and she responded well to me because we were friends. And mm-hmm. I, I remember clearly overhearing a therapist tell my mom while I was working with her, like, someday she'd make a really great occupational therapist. Oh, An thick. impressionable age of 12. <laughs> I'm like, I'm right. not sure what that is, but I'm all over it. So, right. yes, I was attracted to healthcare from a very early age.
0: So one of the things that uh, I love about you is you are very much a people person. You know, it's very obvious from the first time that you meet you that – you are really sort of driven by helping others. And so uh, it sounds like the perfect career.
1: Yeah, absolutely. How did you make the
0: transition, though, from, okay, I'm the one practicing the therapy to uh, now I'm
1: leading others? That's right. Yeah, it just happened quickly, I think. uh, At a young age, At at a young age, yes. Early 20s, I was working, um, started off at a big hospital in Columbus. And then as we moved here to Georgia, worked for... Um, a nursing home out in Monroe, mm-hmm. and uh, found that there was some need for leadership. So, and it was a disconnect between you know leader, the higher level leadership down to the communication at the facility level. And so, yeah, um, I guess early on because I identified a problem, they were like, "Hey, yeah, why don't you take that lead role?" And the rest was history. So, wow, yeah, it was just by chance. It wasn't intentional to get into management side of it, but um, ended up loving it and felt like I could make a better impact on the whole rehab department as opposed to just occupational therapy. So hmm. ended up um, quickly getting into a leadership role where well. I managed, I don't know, 15, 20 nursing homes throughout the state of Georgia and the really? rehab departments. Correct. At mm-hmm. the
0: ripe old age of 20-something?
1: Yeah. It was right. Yeah. So
0: I'm going to guess, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to guess that a lot of the people that reported to you at that time. Were older than twenty and something.
1: Correct. Yes. How did that go? Yeah, that was tricky. That was, was it? tricky too. Yeah, <laughs> talk about the people uh, side of me. It was intimidating. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, I've, early on, not by reading much or having much knowledge of leadership, but realized I was getting further, faster by connecting and listening mm-hmm. to their ideas and trying to implement, you know, their thoughts into uh, strategies that they thought were important.
0: Wow. Yeah. I learned a lot
1: from them as well. And so I I guess just early on took a sort of a humble leadership type approach uh, because it worked.
0: That's a very mature (laughs) approach. I'll tell you what, I, you know, I wish, I wish that I had, it had come naturally to me at that age. I've had to learn, (laughs) read books, you know, figure it out along the way. And as anyone on my team will tell you, you know, another 20 years, I'm going to have it figured out. Uh, Yeah. So good job. Oh, no, I don't have it figured out (laughs) for sure.
1: But yeah, it was. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: So, How did did the transition from managing to recruiting happen? Is it just, hey, you know what? I'm a leader role, and I need people, so I need to go recruit some folks. Is that how it happened, or was it different?
1: No, that's a really interesting story as well. So I was enjoying sort of um, the leadership side of things and had been promoted a couple times and truthfully got pregnant with our first child. um, and had all uh, intentions of going back to work. I was going to take a nice long maternity leave and get right back at it because I enjoyed my job and I was in a good position. And, mm-hmm. but until they uh, handed her to me, <laughs> everything changed. Starts to get really real, yes. yeah, so different. this is a funny story. Um, so I took my three months maternity leave and was supposed to figure out a plan, daycare or a nanny or something, and didn't. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I was in a bit denial. And as I went back, I just brought her with me. Oh, really? Literally. Popped her in the car seat. I'd take her to nursing homes. And, you know, I'm like, who doesn't like a new baby? Yeah, everyone does. Yeah. And Nick was like, how? what's your plan? I'm like, I didn't have one other than I'm not leaving her ever. So she's just going to be my sidekick as long as I can (laughs) drag her along to all these remote areas of Georgia to these nursing homes. Um, and then my boss eventually, you know, I'd bring her to meetings. I literally, it was kind of a crazy, (laughs) (laughs) I'm a a big planner, but I had zero plan other than, I don't know. I would love to hear how that conversation went. So Suzanne, (laughs) you brought her to eight meetings. (laughs) What's the (laughs) plan? I'm like, but isn't she adorable? Uh Um, wow. Yeah. So Nick and I had a heart to heart. I think he sat me down and was like, yeah, this is not a sustainable plan you got going here. So what what are we going to do? And we had decided that. You know, I only felt like I had two options to leave her in daycare at the time. I was like, I I was like ripping my heart out. There's no Mm -hmm. way I could do that. I'm sorry. I will sell my car and ride my my bike to the grocery store if we have to, (laughs) but I am not leaving her. And so he totally supported that. And that was the plan. I was just, I thought I had two options, continue work and put her in daycare, which Mm -hmm. did not instinctively feel right to me Mm -hmm. or um, leave the career. And so that was the decision I made. Until, miraculously, I get this call about a week before I was going to tell my boss. And they said, oh, my gosh, we're exploding. We need recruiters. And you've pretty much recruited for yourself, for all your positions. Now, this is your boss? Yeah, this was... Yeah, I think I heard about it through through my boss that wow. um, they were adding to the recruiting team. And she said, just just so you know, those positions are remote. And I'm like, you could have told me I'm like stuffing envelopes the rest of my life, but it's remote. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. I mean, I will shovel out a horse barn if I oh need to <laughs> to be home with her. And so I call um, corporate and said, hey, I hear there's a recruiting position. And it moved so quickly. Within 48 hours, they offered me a position. And I'm like, I'm a recruiter now. I get to oh work my home. So it was... A complete miracle because I didn't understand really, I didn't even think at the time, you know, this is just when home computers were getting, Mm -hmm. you know, it was 20 years ago. So, you know, they still had car phones, but they were in the big zipper Mm -hmm. bag. And, you know, people just didn't really work remote very often in legit roles. I mean, you sold Avon and, you know, stuff like that, but Mm -hmm. not legitimate careers from home. So this this third option just landed in my lap, and it was a small miracle. And I thought, honestly, took it thinking... I'll do it until whatever I need to do, so I don't have to leave her until she gets older, and then I'll get back into the clinical track. But I ended up loving recruiting.
0: Wow, and I, I think you're it. very good at it, from what I understand. I, I, I think so.
1: <laughs> I think, well, truthfully, I, I, not you know to toot my own horn, but I do think, and I, I really did knock it out of the park, you know, more so than the other recruiters. And I think it was I understood what those open positions translated to, mm-hmm. what that would feel like if you you know there's a patient that has a need and There's nobody to treat that patient. So the patient either suffers or is rushed through their treatment. And so I felt it, like I could see the Mm -hmm. scenarios more so than people that are recruiters that aren't clinicians. So I I had a, I guess, an instinctive motivating factor that they didn't because I understood what those open positions on paper translated to in real life.
0: That sounds like it worked out great. It did. It was great. You worked there for
1: a while. I did. I did.
0: What what sparked that entrepreneurial Mm -hmm. bug
1: in you? I honestly um, felt like I could do more because I
0: feel like when we had that conversation, yeah, I referenced were, what, Was sort of the tail end of that.
1: That's it. Yeah. That's exactly it. That was the exact. So time. you were
0: beginning to think about. I was think well, about something different.
1: Yeah, I just felt like there was more I had to offer. I'd kind of climbed the ladder in the recruiting side as mm-hmm. well. Um, ended up, I was over the entire South for a large company, a division of a large company called Kindred Healthcare. They're huge, mm-hmm. and um, was in a management role in, in, and that in, was still remote. It was still remote. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Traveled to to their corporate headquarters and and things like that, but based out of home. Sure. Um, But, yeah, um, I I believe that I just felt like there was more I could Mm -hmm. offer. I had more in my brain and just more um, that I felt like I could accomplish. So probably when I met you, I was kind of mapping out a business plan. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, didn't really know that's what it was called, but thought, how do I hang up my own shingle and try to do this on my own? Right. And so, yeah, I had a really supportive boss. This is just a funny little side note story. I went to tell him. I had think I'd been there eight years and um, was nervous. You know, I had been thinking about it, talking to people I trusted in the community for probably a year and had it really well laid out and had made the decision I was going to venture this off on my own. So I went and talked to um, my boss and I'll I'll never forget he he glad like talking to mile a minute because I was super nervous just to give the news <laughs> that I'm leaving and I'm gonna try this on my own and he sat and listened so patiently and I stopped talking and he said Massino um, I got two questions for you oh, it was like October he goes number one will you stay till the end of the year number two can we be your first client oh really and wow. I thought yes and yes. <laughs> Check, check. Wow. Yeah, so that was that a nice. conversation went really well. It totally <laughs> did. So what a nice segue into entrepreneurship. It was a pretty safe bet, a gigantic client. Um, and he wow. sort of took my idea and expanded. He's, he's kind of the one. I didn't really think about it at the time of consulting. I thought it would be more retained search type model. But mm-hmm. he took the consulting side. Like, we need another vantage point, somebody to sort of raise out of the day-to-day and and help advise us on some strategic initiatives. Hmm. So yeah, that was a great nice segue that into fantastic. entrepreneurship.
0: So that company was called is called Kindred Staffing Innovations. Right? Oh the, the new, company I had, yes, Staffing Innovations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so that led to hey, I've got one customer as sort of a base. Yes. How did how did yeah. you expand it? How does that work?
1: Yes. Yeah. So Um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with luck truthfully, because I would love to say that I was just thinking all these things through, but, um, after that first client, which was easy because I knew the players and knew the dynamics, um, I did have to sort of switch into sales mode. So it was my first dip into entrepreneurship and a a bit of a wide awakening. There's nobody to go to, but yourself to like do every aspect (laughs) of the business. I'm like, okay, if I need new clients, I got to sell. If I need this, I got to deliver. So, um, yeah, I started to get, um, I believe a friend of mine called, and I got a referral to another company who was backed by a VC, um, venture capitalist private equity type conglomeration. And um, what was wonderful, and again, I, this would have been a really strategic mo- move, but that's not how it happened, but I got tucked under these um private equity companies that had big portfolios of companies in similar aspects, a lot of them healthcare. Mm. And so for years, I just got to kind of bounce around into companies under their portfolio as a consultant. I'd do a three month stint for um, a healthcare staffing company that they owned that they were having trouble recruiting or retaining therapists or clinicians finish that. And they'd say, Hey, you know what? We have this other client over here. Can you help us Same thing with that one. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't really have to sell. Truthfully, Mm -hmm. I had a I had a little tiny website that nobody ever went to it, and it was just by (laughs) word of mouth that I got my next
0: uh, client. Well, you know, I think you're being very humble to say that you know it was lucky. (laughs) Uh, You know, you we we make our own luck many times, and uh, as I said earlier, it's clear that you care about people, and when you care about people, opportunities come your way because people want to do business with people they like and they trust. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, kudos to you you for that. That's pretty amazing. Uh, I can certainly relate you know on um, the terms of being sort of that solo entrepreneur. Uh, you know, for those that don't know from my background, I ran rocket IT as a solo entrepreneur for years out of my house. Uh, same thing you know little kids at home and you want to be home when the kids are home and uh, be around them and you don't want to miss their first steps and a lot of those things. so yeah. being able to run a business out of my house and be close to the kids when they were small was a big benefit you know to, to running that solo entrepreneur, but I used to joke with people. People would call me, you know, you get a cold call or something like that, and they're trying to sell something, and they think you're a, a business, and so they say, well, how many employees you have? I would tell them I have three. There's me, myself, and I, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you end up doing everything. That's and You're right. the salesperson, you're the, you know, the technician, you're uh, the person taking out the trash, and uh, uh, everything in between, and uh, it's, it can be tough, right? Very tough. And, and it stretches us uh, to, to kind of learn new things, and find new skill sets. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. So uh, I know that beyond child number one, there was a number two and a number and three. Number did three. all that happen in, during Staffing Innovations? It did. Wow. Yeah.
1: yeah. So, Well, actually, that happened with uh, Kindred, the first oh, okay. where I got to work from home. Oh, so all okay. three of those. So oh, okay. it was after the third child that I, I then went into my own business, right. Staffing Innovations. Wow. Yeah.
0: It, it is really it nice to be able medicine. to, absolutely, to be able to be home oh, uh, when the kids are growing up, Yeah, especially when they're small. Yeah, and I can't mean, talk back too much.
1: Right, right. It was great. It was. I, I, I really. It was important for me to um, be there for mm-hmm. them. And we ended up having, you know, help of course with mm-hmm. the three kids, but I had some quirky rules. Um, <laughs> I remember the nanny. I was trying to explain to her, like, okay, so when the baby wakes up, even if I'm on a conference call, I can mute, and I want to be the first. Face uh, the baby oh, sees interesting oh. <laughs> when they wake up from the nap. So I will hug them and you know go like, and then I'll pass them on. Uh. <laughs> I was like okay, how about that? But I just think that for many years I was just trying to trick the kids, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm a complete stay at home mom. Right. <laughs> just... That's pretty
0: funny. I can yeah. imagine you. You're on a conference call, you're on mute, and you come back, and you're like, okay, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. To pick up no. where you left off. <laughs> exactly. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, d- did you find? Uh, did you find that there were any particular challenges around trying to balance that running a business and being a mom? And, you know, you, I know Nick is a big help around the house because he's told me so.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he is, actually. Yeah,
0: yeah, he is, absolutely. Yes. Uh, and so I asked him about it, too, when, when he was in here interviewing for a podcast a while back, is, you know, how do you balance that? Yeah. Um, it, it's tough. And the other thing about both of you is you're both... You are not sit around and watch TV kind of parents. You're totally involved in your kids' lives, You're going to sporting events. They're all active kids. And yeah. how
1: does how do you balance all that stuff? I still feel like I'm in the middle of it figuring it out, too. Yeah. But, yeah, it is it is a 1,000% a balancing act. And, mm. you know, it's through the years, um, especially when I first started working from home, that just wasn't really common place then. Now it's definitely more, you know, the remote workforce is, right. is definitely more popular and, But at the time, there were several struggles. One was, you know, having people understand that I literally, it was a legit career from Mm -hmm. home. I wasn't just dabbling in something that, you know, it was a legit job from home. So just, I guess, you know, other moms, you know, I didn't quite fit in either category. I wasn't in the group of moms that were home, and I wasn't the executive mom leaving, you Mm -hmm. know, at 6 a.m. either. So it was kind of uncharted territory and, and difficult finding people that were in similar situations. But I remember through the years, you know, it was so important to me to physically be present for the children. You know, I wanted to have this this gift work really, really well. I wanted to be able to be there for them. But there were many hard times where I remember thinking, I kind of am not succeeding in either. I, I felt like <laughs> right. if I had to grade myself, I was like a C in the mom category and a C in the business, that I wasn't really able to, you know, exceed the way I wanted to in Mm. either so that was difficult for me to sort of just be okay with being just okay Mm. it's just not my style right and the times where I was like killing it at work I would have rated myself a D at Um, home uh and the times that I was not so killing it at work I was mother of the year like it (laughs) it was just a tricky balance to get just right that is
0: I can totally see that. Yeah, You and I, you know, we share that. We, we want to win, right? We yeah. want to win, and I imagine it's really tough to be the all-star mom mm-hmm. and the all-star entrepreneur at the same time. That's right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I've had some of the same issues uh, with you, know, you want to be there for all your kids' stuff. You mm-hmm. want to go to every game. You want to go to every play or whatever. That's right. You want to be home when they get home from school. And, and uh, be present, not yeah. distracted or stressed yeah. out or exactly. exhausted. Exactly. It is a balancing act, and uh, sounds sounds like you managed it well. Nice, nice job. Let's talk a little bit about, kind of touch on something you mentioned earlier about suddenly you're running this business and you have to sell. Was it scary to go from, uh, hey, you know what, I have a job. There's security in that. Uh, it seems like you know there's probably benefits and health care and all that stuff. To, hey, it's me. And if it's gonna work, it's on my shoulders. So I got to look in the mirror and kind of figure that out. Was that was that a scary process?
1: Completely. Or? I don't have entrepreneurs in my family. I think a lot of entrepreneurs have seen that mm. in their family, and so they've seen that be successful. Uh, that really that wasn't part of my immediate circle mm. of um, influence. So yeah, it was terrifying. I mean, some things that made it a little bit easier, truthfully, was that. I have still to this day have my license as an occupational therapist. I haven't practiced in twenty some years, but in the back of my head, I'm like, you know what? Your plan B, <laughs> yeah, let's hope it's, yeah, plan F or you know G, but right. it's um that helped you know mm-hmm. through the years. So like I I don't I don't have a horrible backup plan. That would mm-hmm. be amazing. And there's a huge need and a huge shortage of therapists. So All I right. knew I already you know had that. And then of course the support of Nick mm-hmm. um, has been having a nice secure job. Mm-hmm. I don't I think it'd be harder. If um, he wasn't supportive of that and knew it was a risk and knew I was walking away from really, you know, great, solid, consistent yeah. opportunity, and you know, I had his support, which is great.
0: That's awesome. Okay, so let's uh, let's kind of move on from there. Uh, one of the things that I think is really fascinating is you, know, you built this business around recruiting and working with people that are looking for jobs. You're working with uh, prospective employers that are looking for team members. And that's all going really well. But then somebody, you got a phone call one day and somebody wants to sell their business. Is that how it worked? Is, is,
1: um, it, sort of. You got,
0: you got involved in it's, mergers and acquisitions. I did. Yeah. I
1: didn't know about that world. Um, and yes, I did. And so again. This the- is a
0: fascinating turn
1: of events. It, it really like. was. Yeah. So yeah.
0: tell me how did that all work?
1: Um, so, and again, it was a relationship I had built with a company and had helped them as a, a consultant many times over, which was awesome. A lot of my clients I had were repeat. They'd mm-hmm. use me and then, you know, call me back in a year. And it was almost like a checkup or um, a, another issue they wanted my thoughts on. So it was really a unique privilege because I could get up to speed quicker and And yeah, it actually happened twice, where there were some smaller businesses that I kind of knew and had some relationships with, and on the other side had some, you know, private equity firms that were looking to acquire companies in that space. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, made some introductions. So did it happen the other way around?
0: Did I get that wrong? And it's actually the VC firm that says, "Hey, do you know anybody?"
1: It was yes. Oh, they led the way. That Um, I knew what type of companies they were trying to add to their portfolio. uh Um, And they knew of the relationships I had Uh and sort of asked for, and I had helped them as a consultant before in many areas. They knew and trusted me and just basically threw it out there. This is what we're after, and this is the type of companies we're looking for. Wow. Do you know? And the the areas they were looking to diversify sort of across the U.S., Um, and so there were some pockets that they they wanted companies, and it just so happened that I had some relationships with some companies in those areas, and um, Hmm. the rest was history. That was a unique experience.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds like it. Mm -hmm. I mean, an amazing opportunity. Mm -hmm. So what was that like? Uh, When when you're trying to bridge the gap between, okay, I have a potential buyer and I have a potential seller, I know both of them. I have relationships with both of them. How do you bring them together and make that work?
1: Yeah, so my loyalty definitely felt on the side of the the company, not um, the company that was wanting to acquire them because That's, there was a protection, I think, uh, you know, a concern that would they be able to keep their culture and keep the things that were important to them. And I mean, so, you helped build it, really. You exactly. You helped recruit folks into that environment. Yeah, the first one, um, especially, I felt um, a, a big connection and sort of a loyalty there to them, and I didn't want to advise them in, in the wrong direction mm-hmm. or, or convince them to do something they weren't comfortable with. So it was a tricky balance. Um, and really for myself, it was more of a, you know, let's feel this out together mm-hmm. and let's look at the pros and cons together, even though it ultimately had nothing <laughs> to do with my decision. But, but yeah, it was a really unique experience to be a part of. Sure.
0: How did you go about learning the skills necessary to even know what to ask? you know because this this is you have people that build their whole career around I, M&A and there are people that you know have entire organizations around venture capital how does a person like me or you kind of sit down and say okay I need to learn how to broker a deal between two companies? Right.
1: Great question. I am really good at using my resources around me. And so there were some people in our world that Nick and I knew that had, that was their career. Ah. And I had them literally on speed dial. I remember in one scenario, (laughs) no joke calling them from the woman's restroom. And I'm like, okay, there's using words. I don't understand They, you know, tell me what they mean. What question should I be asking? You know, make me look smart. Essentially. How do you help me, uh, you know, get through this? And so I had, some really great supporters from behind the scenes, sort of guiding me along the way.
0: Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. that that deal ended up being the first of two, two. three, four, two. Wow, mm-hmm. oh, so you did two of them. Yeah. Wow. So did that. Kind of make you feel like, hey, you know what? I'm going to start another business around M&A, or feel like I was (laughs) like, I
1: can't believe people do this full time. This is a blast. Is this a real job? Is this a real thing? Wow! So learned a lot. It, you know, just like you, it's. I think once you get the bug of Mm -hmm. learning and trying to solve problems, it's you just can't. It's you know a hunger you can't satisfy. It's and so yes, just learning. I didn't. I didn't really understand that that world existed and Mm -hmm. that there were people that that is truly their careers and it was. Very, very exciting. And the, the person that was helping me was really funny. He was so excited and such a great, you know, support to me. And he was like, you know, listen, this is so exciting. I just, I, I, you know, I, I need you to know that there's like a 1% chance this will go through.
0: Oh, really? Why?
1: <laughs> I was like, 1%? Like, I was so excited. And then when it did, so we took him out to dinner and we cheered to the 1%. And then when it happened again, I'm like, so, yeah. Wow, I mean,
0: like lightning striking uh, twice. You're <laughs> lucky
1: person. I guess so, yeah.
0: That's amazing. So, at this point, you've been running Staffing Innovations for a number of years. Yeah, like eight, eight. eight, eight mm-hmm. nine. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, a good long time. Correct. You've worked with a lot of different companies. Uh, worked with venture capital side. You've brokered two M and A deals, which is just amazing. A lot of people could have just said, "You know what? Life's good. I'm just going to keep on doing this mm-hmm. uh, for the rest of my life."
1: That's right. That was uh, the plan.
0: Yeah. But something changed because I know there's another venture that you're involved in now. It's really your main thing. So, what what happened that made you shift your attention and kind of want to continue and try and get another
1: new thing? That's right. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, it's an interesting story. So, as I mentioned, I use my resources and stay connected to the people that are important to me, mm-hmm. um, whether they kind of like it or not. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I bet they like it. <laughs> there was a. Uh, um, a gentleman that I had met, uh, he was actually a vendor for Kindred when I worked there. Mm-hmm. His company uh, was a staffing company, and we met. Um, and through the years, um, he lives in Durham, and as he would come through Atlanta, we'd grab coffee just to mm-hmm. stay connected. It was mostly me, I think, driving that you know connection, keeping sure. that because I. It was a very bright guy and um, smart, had really great ideas and solutions. And so, um, this was several years before you know um, anything to do on paper with. Match well, but you know, he started to talk about things that were bothering him in the industry. That you know, almost hinting that he felt like he was on the wrong team. That mm-hmm. the staffing industry and the staffing, um, the way the model has been for twenty some years, you know, they their margins were continuing to skyrocket. Meanwhile, it wasn't really going back to the pockets of the clinicians, and it was killing facilities. They helped some, you know, uh, sort of the America's safety net hospitals. And, you know, sort of a light bulb moment for him was sitting in sort of a audacious gala that his company had sponsored and hearing talk after talk of people, you know, we've saved 0.01 cent on a, you know, injector needle cap or something, um, you know, every way they could save money. And meanwhile, his company, you know, and it's just the nature of, you know, right or wrong, they were filling needs um, in the staffing uh, and helping them, Mm -hmm. you know, no doubt about it, but started to think that, Maybe there's a better way to directly connect facilities with their needs to help save costs, really. Well, it is expensive Um, to use recruiters, I think, in any field. It It certainly
0: is in the IT field. To the extent that we can figure out our own recruiting, we want to do that because anytime we bring in a third party to help with recruiting, there's a massive expense on the front end, and there's still a lot of risk tied to that, too, because often the recruiter doesn't know. The culture of your organization and where that comes from so I can see how that could play out in the healthcare field also yeah. but he, so he was he was in the recruitment field
1: mm-hmm.
0: and seeing where hey you know what yeah are making good money but uh, maybe there's a better way to do
1: things. that's right he had an idea basically mm-hmm. and so um, probably for a good year as he would come through town or you know he'd bounce the idea off me and sort of you know literally back a napkin map, map out what he was thinking of how to directly connect these two parties, you know, mm-hmm. without having to go through a middleman, the staffing agency. And, you know, I was there just to, as a friend, essentially, to listen and, and with my knowledge, poke holes in it, mm-hmm. you know, the best I could and, and you know, help him think through his idea um, until <laughs> I remember it was over a weekend and I couldn't stop thinking about it. It's All like right. it had become more clear to him where mm-hmm. he was going and what idea. And it was becoming more real that he was ready to sort of take this leap himself um, but he was missing a part of the puzzle, which was the recruiting side. And mm. he had mentioned it to me, like, you know, I need your help looking for somebody. He kind of understood the facility, the hospital, that side, but needed somebody on the clinician recruiting side. And I thought about it all weekend. And truthfully, I remember the moment. I'm like, this has not just grabbed my attention. It's grabbed my heart. Oh, wow. And uh, so I called him back and said, listen, listen. I'm interested myself Hmm. in this. Not sure whether he would be interested in me. Um, And yeah, then went and met with the chairman of the board that we had um, already, he had already aligned himself with. Mm -hmm. And that helped us sort of raise the funds and the rest is history. So yeah, he asked me to be the co-founder and off to the races we went. How long ago was that? That was um, the end of 2017. So yeah, not long ago. We took, we raised uh, the money much quicker than we thought just based on an idea. Um, And I think it's because it's healthcare and Mm -hmm. everybody knows there's a huge critical massive shortage of clinicians. So that's always a nice topic for investors if you have an idea around healthcare um, and a disruptor Mm -hmm. in the staffing. And so, yeah, we thought it would take months and months to raise the money we were after and we raised it really quickly, which allowed us to kind of get off to the races a little bit quicker. So we took 2018, partnered with a technology company out of San Francisco and started mapping out the technology so it took that year to build it essentially and build some ideas and processes around it hired the team in january of 2019 mm-hmm. <laughs> and flipped the switch to on with the technology in april wow so yeah that's
0: amazing okay so tell us what is match okay what's what's your value proposition yeah you know I, I put you on the spot here for a little bit of a pitch but i just I want to know a little bit about what the company does and what's unique about it.
1: Yeah, the unique um, part of our company is that our technology directly connects healthcare facilities with clinicians and what they're looking for, hence okay. the reason we're called MatchWell. So we use technology and algorithms um, in the background to help, based on what their skill sets are and what they're looking for, directly expose them to opportunities that match mm. what they're looking for.
0: Okay. And it's so, match well.
1: It's yeah. match well. Nice. Exactly.
0: So... My understanding is is that there's a little bit of a tweak here, because there are, there are recruiting platforms out there that are more general, in a sense. And I know in my field, there's one that was uh, very popular for a long time, and may still be uh, Dice.com was sort of a recruiting platform for IT folks. Is the differentiator for Matchwell that it's specific to healthcare, or are there other aspects that are unique and different also?
1: Yeah, that, that that's a great question. We are specific to healthcare, so okay. we've leveraged the years of healthcare staffing that he has and 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 I have, um, and really honed in on just healthcare. Okay, the technology would work for other sectors, but that is where we're focusing is healthcare.
0: So you mentioned when you got started working from home years ago that that was still a pretty unique idea. You know, there's not a lot of people doing that. Technology, obviously, has advanced a lot, and now not only do we have lots of people that are able to work from home, even our team. If there's a snow day or something like that, we work from home on a temporary basis, and in many fields, people work from home all the time. Uh, but there's also this whole gig economy. That's right. Uh, people, you know, whether it's Uber or some of these other platforms where they're working, uh, you, know, you know, VRBO, uh, Airbnb, and so on. Uh, Is there an aspect of that, too, or is it more of a traditional employment arrangement uh, once you connect a clinician with a potential employer?
1: No, that's a great question. So we're really focused. Our passion is flex work, and that is for several reasons. Um, Due to the clinician shortage, a lot of clinicians, you know, when they get into a facility, they're mandated to work many, many hours and overtime, and... What we have found is that there's clinicians that keep their license a nurse that are stay-at-home moms oh. or retired and there are options for them to work sort of here and there as mm-hmm. they choose today but it's very transactional they would go to hospital a and tell them where they want to work they manage the schedules themselves um, and then would reapply to another facility to find those types of flex work so our platform allows a clinician to broadly see all their flexible opportunities in one spot. They can house their credentials, Mm -hmm. almost like a credentialing portfolio or wallet where they can house all their things there and um, not have to continually, and there's a lot for clinicians, a lot of credentials and competencies that they have to. Oh yes, um, many, many. Um, So they can house all those. They basically snap a picture and upload it into the platform and it houses it there. So it's very easy for them to see many opportunities and apply to many options at once. Wow. And really, yeah, our, our, our big focus is flex work where we can tap into those moms that may want to work a little bit of a flexible schedule or the retirees that want to scale back, don't want to work the rigorous 12 hour shifts and right. you know all of that, but they, they want to keep their foot in, but they want the empowerment and the control of, of their schedule. That um, was really cool. Yeah. So and then that? also the millennials, like you said, the gig economy, you know, we wanted work life balance, but they're demanding it. Right. <laughs> so um, it's really, you know, ringtree to them whether they're picking up a little bit of extra work on mm-hmm. top of their full time job or they just want to work really, really hard for, you know, 12, 13 weeks and then take a month off and travel. And this mm-hmm. platform allows them to sort of um, control when and how they want to work.
0: That is really awesome. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. curious, is that. Part of your contribution to this conversation or was that uh in terms of what what matchwell does and its focus of doing because that's kind of unique, right? unique it's very really cool yeah or is that something that was kind of part of the plan from the beginning? it was
1: part of the plan from the beginning that's yeah that's really cool Yep. Yeah,
0: yeah i love it you're right there that is something that well all of us want for sure flexibility yeah. Work-life uh, the ability life balance. to control in our destiny and so forth so uh, that is awesome when you go look online you look at some of these organizations like the Ubers and the Airbnbs. Do you find that that's an inspiration uh, for some of what you're doing? Is there a model that's out there that, that you kind of say, oh, okay, here's what we've done here? Or do you feel like it's, oh, this is a whole brave new world and i of got to figure it out myself?
1: Yeah, it's a little of both. I mean, I think um, some of those types of technologies are very, very high tech, but not very high touch. Mm-hmm. And so far, I think with healthcare, that's where the differences lie. We consider ourselves both. Right. Um, and of course, you know, Driving somebody from point A to point B, although there are competencies and you know things that that go along with it's it's very uh, complex in healthcare. Mm-hmm. You have to have the right skill set. Um, you have to keep competencies. So if you're working a flexible schedule, um, you know one week, can you wait two months before you go back and work there again, or will there have been some changes? So mm-hmm. aligning the competencies with what the requirements are for you know, patient care at this hospital and, and even more so just under the umbrella of a hospital, there's differences per department. So a right. mother and baby unit may have different competencies, competency requirements than, you know, the emergency room or things like that. So it's very complex, um, more so than some of the others. But we do certainly watch, you know, um, other marketplace technologies like Uber and Airbnb for, you know, guidance and, and how do you make something so complex simple. And right. that's been a challenge. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's that's always a big part of the challenge, right? Exactly. How do we make complicated things uh, simple? That's right. Uh, it's hard to do. It's very hard to do. Well, speaking of complicated things uh, made simple, how in the world did you become such a technical person? I mean, you, let's listen to this. So you've, you've got this idea along with your co-founder about, hey, I want to build this platform. You know, you and I—we uh, know each other. I don't remember there being a huge background in software development and hiring remote teams to, to work on uh, building a platform. How in the world did you get good at that?
1: Yeah, well, um, that they—my team would probably argue that I'm not. So There's <laughs> the, the founderness. I think you would say the same. Is that no? We are, neither one of us are technical people, um, but I think what we have both learned and. Um, Done a very good job of is hiring the best and the brightest. Mm-hmm. We have an, a team of incredibly smart people, so it is certainly you know very much. In, our thumbprints are all over the concept and the idea and how we want it to work based on our knowledge from our previous careers. But the actual components of the technology are largely done by you know the professionals and developers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah. So,
0: uh, do I understand correctly that? Most of that development team, if not the entire development team, is based outside of Georgia. Correct. Is that right?
1: Yes, we have a couple. We are growing more internally to handle those things. We have um, we hired somebody right away in technology to to help guide us um, and be that liaison and that voice, someone that understood the language far more than Rob and I did as they were were talking. So, helping to manage that partnership and drive those changes that we want to see in a way that they. Um, the developers could understand. Somebody's almost got to translate. Right? That's right. right. Exactly. Yeah. And she's phenomenal. So hmm. she's a great listener and can hear what we're saying and what we try to want to accomplish. And she's great. Immediately she's like, yeah, that sounds really simple, but that is months to oh, do. Right. And then things that seem like too complex to even ask for, she's like, oh no, no, no that's a crazy <laughs> change. So she's really helpful in that way. And she listens um, intently on what we're trying to accomplish. And then she helps hmm. to organize it and make it happen.
0: So y- As you might imagine, at Rocket IT, we sometimes get uh, pulled into various scenarios where people are looking to either build a line of business application, or in some cases, they're uh, looking to expand its capacity or capability. And so we get drawn into those conversations. We don't do software development here inside our organization, but we often work with other software developers. And there's sort of a recurring theme that I think I've identified. It's very sophisticated. Stuff's really expensive and usually costs a lot more. than than the business owners and the people driving the projects imagine. Have you found that to be true?
1: (laughs) Yeah, early on, um, some of our board members who have had experience with technology warned us. And of course we were just shiny eyed and um, mm-hmm. a little naive in a, in a way that they said, you know, it's going to take you longer and it's going to cost you more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're like, no, 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 we've got a good plan. And yeah, it took us longer and it cost us a little more.
0: <laughs> and it's probably not, not ending, right? No, yeah, It's probably no, ever something evolving. that always has to be developed and iterated. Built on and, right.
1: Mm, yeah. yeah. Iterated, but yeah. that's the exciting part. It really is. Yes. Yeah. You know, um, learning from our early users, we had some early adopters, both on the, hospital side or the facility side and on the clinician side. And, you know, to be in listening mode and, you know, try to make it more intuitive, try to make it easier, less clicks. How do they get from point A to point B? What made sense to us may not make sense to the actual users in real life. So it, we're, you know, in listening mode and I don't think that'll ever end. Yeah.
0: Well, that's good. That's a good way to be, right? Yeah. Good way to build your business. Yeah. So you launched your product officially, I think you said in April of this year, is Correct. that right? Yeah. How many clients did you I don't know how that works. Yeah, okay, so. on April 10th, I'm going to turn this on, and then just, we're going to stand back yeah. and watch all the people. How did that happen?
1: Yeah, that was. Um, it, we had um, the luxury of having um, a wait list. so before oh, wow. April, we had talked to many clinicians, um, and so we had a bit of a, a nice groundswell, small mm. one, albeit mm-hmm. of the on the clinician side of folks on the waitlist that were just interested. In you know getting into the technology when it was ready, so that helped. Yeah. And then on the facility side, we had two facilities agree to be what we called alpha kind facilities, test case. Test yeah, case. Sure. So, um, yeah, they uh, they helped us really
0: more than test is Almost proof of concept. Proof of, of concept, yeah. exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We also we er, early early on we had um, a handful, maybe I don't know, less than a hundred alpha clinicians to using oh. not the real platform, um, you know, staging type sure uh, information but but yeah to when we flipped the switch on we had a, a couple of clients that were willing to be patient with us and and How let us try it. yes it huh. was it was great
0: so what's it been like i mean i imagine it's been amazing it's-
1: Yes. Right. I mean, t- uh,
0: tell me how how's that all unfolded?
1: Yeah. So it has been incredible. Uh, I think for us, we knew all along, just from the staffing industry side, that this concept would ring true to the facilities. It's cost savings. Mm-hmm. It's direct access to clinicians that they need. Um, it's a whole new model uh, of of helping. You know, with the deficit mm-hmm. of clinicians, aligning them, and um, so we knew that. We, we pretty much knew that's gonna that is gonna sell well. Mm-hmm. Um, the wild card for us, I think, or for me, more importantly, was on the clinician side because they're they're heavily sought after. There's a right. huge demand. They're you know they're emailed, they're sent messages, they're cold called constantly for recruiting because there's I think 500,000 clinicians short across the America, oh America. So they are used to being sought after. Oh yeah, that always have been. Even well, for, I haven't even thought
0: about that. So yeah, you've got all these amazing uh, facilities that have signed up and if there are no clinicians there ready to do the work that's, that's right. be a problem right yeah we
1: talk a lot a lot about chicken and eggs mm-hmm. with us because you get too many clinicians in mm-hmm. the platform with not much for them to do that's they're not good go on, or right. you get facilities in there with not enough clinicians that's not good either so you know it's it's definitely a balance trying to get that flywheel spinning of mm-hmm. clinicians the right amount of of clinicians and facilities um, mm-hmm. yeah so it's been a challenge
0: so what do you do to keep them coming back
1: that's a great question. We, um, our mission is to exceed expectations every way we can. So we allow, which is super unique as well, access to the clinicians on the facility side, however they want. If they find a clinician and they want that clinician full time, and if the clinician wants to work there full time, we we don't hold them back for that. Mm-hmm. They're allowed, you know, to use the clinicians however they they choose. And so there's a lot of flexibility. A lot of flexibility, platform. and so they love that. Yeah, seeing great value.
0: Are you finding that the clinicians are able to kind of keep their credentials up to date in the system yeah. and find what they want? So
1: yeah, and so one of our earliest hires um, before, ahead of the whole team was a nurse practitioner um, who had done a lot of, of credentialing and monitoring of credentials for a large hospital, and so she was very aware of of that component of it. And so, you know, making sure that the clinicians not only have uploaded the appropriate credentials, but that they're valid and they're up to date, but our system will ping a clinician if something's about to expire or oh, something along those good. lines. Yeah. So yeah. Um, but, but yeah, the clinicians have given us great feedback on, mm-hmm. on the value they're seeing in it. And uh, yeah, the more clients we get, the more exciting it is to partner with facilities to tell the clinicians, you know, pop back in there. There's more opportunities for you.
0: That's really exciting. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm super impressed with what you've accomplished you and your team. It's been incredible. Yeah. Uh, so tell me now uh, you really are I mean 25 plus years at this point you're a seasoned vet in the healthcare space and the staffing space you're an awesome mom you're super involved in your kids and I know you know our kids are roughly the same age you've still got uh, uh, one going through school at home but you've got uh, a couple going to college now yeah uh, that's awesome <laughs> And now you're doing all this work with uh, venture capitalist firms and you're in this tech space. You're a co-founder of this amazing new tech startup. <laughs> it's all really cool. <laughs> uh, any surprises as you've uh, kind of gone through that uh, path and and uh, the people that you've worked with, uh, uh, how has that worked out?
1: Yeah, uh, it's interesting. I recently, from the encouragement of the chairman of my board, he's a great guy, encouraged me to read um, Melinda Gates' book, The Moment of Lift, ah, yeah. which was a great book. And it's interesting reading through it I could relate to a lot of uh, the concepts that she was referring to. And, and, you know, through the years, I would never have labeled myself a feminist or anything even along mm-hmm. those lines. But I will say several years ago, basically with Staffing Innovations, and as I got connected to VC firms or as a consultant, I immediately had a seat at the C-level. I mean, they were mm-hmm. like, here's all our dirty laundry, and here's our, you know, like, help us, basically. <laughs> but I got an immediate seat there and, and many times invited to board meetings as a guest, you know. Mm-hmm. And it really was sort of this epiphany, like, where are all the females? This is, it was, it's sort of, I remember it just sort of slowly, like, hitting me that I am, I don't see that gender diversity, mm. um, you know, like I thought. And, and a lot of the clients were healthcare, which was even more, uh, I guess, of a, a, a perplexing thought that 90 some percent of, of clinicians are female. And Is that right? Yes. Wow. mm mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very heavily... I think
0: Chris and I should go be clinicians, and then we'll start a whole thing about getting more men in the workforce. <laughs>
1: it's, it's, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I'll, I'll help you with that. That's a whole new you know, too. I'm,
0: I'm pokey-fun a little bit, but the, the truth is, is I'm you know, i I'm, I'm not an expert in this, but you know, I go to the doctor, I go to the dentist, and to me, it just seems like the, there's no unusual imbalance there. Okay. It seems like the, yeah. you know there's a... It's more so on
1: nurses, room. I think you see. And that's certainly, especially growing
0: up. You know it was it was uh, kind of unusual to find a male nurse now Correct. these days it's less it's, it's not not as unusual you still see that so yeah yeah there's but,
1: they're making a difference but yeah but but that I think was a, a surprise to me um, well that is fascinating right so yeah you've
0: made it so you're kind of left of the, you know the proverbial floor the of, the, of the tactile hospital type, right mm-hmm. and moved into the boardroom and all of a sudden wait a second there's all guys around here that's right any any thoughts on why why that is or what's what's the challenge or why aren't there more women in that in that
1: room I don't know and it's funny I'm just kind of early in this sort of epiphany and I think it's you know it's been around and there's resources out there and tons of literature about it but I guess for myself personally it hasn't been into the last you know five ten years that I'm noticing it more and more mm-hmm. and um, what was really interesting about this recent book and I, I'm really impressed um, the way the chairman of my board handled it because it, you know, somewhere tucked in the book, and the book is, you know, it's just a fascinating story. But she mentions that, you know, it's not only females that need to, you know, I guess make it known that this is something they're interested in, and, and sort of empowerment for women, but also for men to, you know, intentionally try to layer in diversity, mm-hmm. uh, gender diversity, or any sort of diversity yeah, sure. as they can. And um, he he was moved by that, and um, just recently it was. A ha- a sponsored a dinner where he. that was really the main goal of the dinner was to get both male and female entrepreneurs and executives in a room together for a nice dinner to do nothing other than meet each other and collaborate. Hmm. And so it was impressive that, you know, he was not only moved by it but took action and started to think how, in his position, in his tenure and career, how can I help bridge this gap um, that that he has seen as well. That's really cool. I think it's, you know... It, it is an intentionality that needs to be layered in.
0: Well, you know, I, I, uh, I do think it's interesting and I think it's really cool that both you and your co founder, Rob, are interested in that and doing something about it. That's, that's admirable. Yeah. Uh, I will say, from my personal experience, uh, early uh, in the days of uh, hiring employees, so when we we're first starting to build. Rocket IT, you know, and from you know, being the three of us, me, myself, and I, and you know, we're going to hire a first, you know, actual, bona fide other person and then another and another. It was really tough, at least in my field, and maybe it's my personality, maybe it's our field. You know, there are not as many female techs, for That's example. Right. There are not as many women that are uh, fascinated, by, fascinated by computers as, as men for some reason. Right. But uh, I found it very difficult early on, you know, when we were five, ten employees, somebody had to be the first woman uh, yeah, to join the team, right? That's right. You know, and, uh, and that can be probably uncomfortable for, for a, a lot of reasons. But you come right. in, if there's you know, eight guys and you're the first female, uh, hey, you know what, That there, there might be some unknowns about that. You don't know how you're going to be treated, how you're going to be perceived. Uh and so it was scary for that first person, I imagine.
1: It's definitely, uh, yeah. I have learned a lot about myself and how mm-hmm. I'm wired. And I think early, I don't know if this is different for men or women, but early in the career, you almost, you're trying to adopt um, a different style um, that isn't really true to yourself mm-hmm. because you feel like that's the way to be. Um, and so I found myself migrating to things like that. But as I've gotten more and more involved and comfortable with, you know, being on the executive team and, I, I don't make progress that way. I have to be true to myself. I've got to you know leverage my strengths and and you know not and outsource and get help on my weaknesses and it's always continue to sort of evolve and try to sharpen my saw. but um, being true to what I'm good at and, and my true self has really helped lend I think a better you know we make more progress that way. I have this is just a funny side note. I um, have literally I say I've started a book. I have got like one page of an outline of a funny, <laughs> funny, just epiphany story that I'm like, I, this is someday in, in my retirement, I'm going to write a book about this because there's so much to unpack about this funny story. This is just <laughs> a, a difference in, in epiphany. I think at the perfect time of, of why you need men and women hmm. in leadership, whether that's on a board or executive team, but so this was years ago and it's, I don't know. Still stuck in my head, probably, literally 15, 20 years ago, and it's this crazy hot day, August, um, and in our cul-de-sac, you've seen where we live. Um, there was a dog loose, a crazy dog, like a big dog, wreaking havoc, like ripping up people's, you know, flower beds and scaring children. And so, my husband and about four other men set out. To take care of the situation, like put the women and children inside, we're gonna (laughs) take care of this. And they're running around, and all I hear is like Wild, Wild West. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, And they're like, We've got the dog trapped over here. And, you know, of course they get to the dog, and the dog would take off running. And, you know, they were trying to surround the dog and like sliding all over the grass. And as men do, (laughs) as men do, like just like, Oh, we're gonna get this dog. And meanwhile, I see my neighbor just, you know, kind of look around, see what the situation was. She goes inside. I thought, okay. And a couple minutes later, she comes back out. She'd open the garage door, walk to the top of the driveway, and just stands at the top of the di- driveway and whistles like... <laughs> with, <laughs> with the hot dog. <laughs> and you see the dog, and the ears prick up, and the dog's tail starts wagging, and she starts... Uh, the dog just, like, comes right to her, and she just backs up. The dog's following her, gets the dog into the garage, hits close the, the close guard. the garage, <laughs> problem solved. And I remember thinking this is why right. <laughs> you need both men and women because we just, uh, we look at things so differently. We solve problems differently. And, you know, not to like say men are, you know, but I'm like, this is why. I mean, it's right. just, and and I see this in leadership and I see this all the time. It's the, you know, even Rob and I, you know, building a company from nothing other than an idea. And we think about things so, so drastically differently. Mm. But I think there's such value there and that sort of, diversity in the way people think and go about trying to solve problems, big ones.
0: Uh, boy, uh, you just said, it's just so great hearing that story. You just <laughs> encapsulated what I think many of us believe and think about what's true. And so many of these things are true for both men and women. You know, Being the best version of yourself, being true to yourself and who you are, yeah. and really setting aside any preconceived notions of who we're supposed to be, mm-hmm. and really allow, you kind of take some um, courage. Right to right. say, okay,
1: and confidence. Right, exactly. To be like, this I'm, is me, and, and I'm flawed, right. and I'm not perfect, but this is me. But that's
0: really what we want. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when you know, when you're building your team, when I'm building my team at Rocket IT, we don't, we're not hiring folks that are built to be robots and think just like we do. We're looking for folks that do bring some of their own personality and their beliefs and their background and so forth to the to the team. And I can tell you, speaking from my own uh, experience. Uh, once we started adding women to the team, you know, we get one and eventually we find another one, brave soul, come join the team. And then eventually, you know, we're still not completely balanced. I don't know exactly what the number is, but it's probably something like 30% women, something like that, 25% maybe. There's benefit to having that different perspective. You know, you want that different perspective and we seek it out and we look for it. And so even as I'm growing my leadership team, we just announced this morning we're expanding our leadership team. So i nice. uh, excited about bringing a couple of members of our team that, uh, that were hired in, in more junior roles that are rising into a leadership role. And for me, uh, very important, uh, one, one man, one woman. And so uh, we're adding to that team because we want that different perspective. We're just better. That's right. When we have multiple perspectives and backgrounds and the way we think. And I think that's true of any kind of diversity, really. That's right. It's uh, not limited to male, female. It but could like, be
1: age. You know, you need young. Socioeconomic that's background. Right.
0: could be uh, you got a color of skin, all those things from where we're from. Uh, there's benefit when you get those different uh, perspectives in a room and we're working collaboratively together to get something done. So, I agree. How awesome is that? <laughs> so uh, I would love to hear... You know, I was teasing you a little bit earlier before we started recording about your LinkedIn says Chief People Officer, <laughs> right. which I love that title, but uh, you you maybe <laughs> – uh, I'll have to get what uh, copy of your job description at some point. Right. But I like – I love – anytime you add the word chief to something, it sounds really that's really, right. really, really there you important, go. <laughs> but I am curious uh, – You've built this platform and you've got a great way of connecting your facilities with clinicians, but you've still got a job to do recruiting inside your own organizations. I'm going to guess with your background, uh, everybody on the team wants you to lead that up because you're probably really good at it. Uh, How do you do that? How do you go about attracting people to this? Hey, hey, you know what? Uh, Come join our team. We started in April. It's going to be amazing. How do you do that?
1: Right. Yeah, it's really tricky. I think um, clearly understanding what we need and like you said intentionally layering in that diversity is important to us especially in the early because you can get stuck in a rut before you know it and you look around and you're like oh you know Mm -hmm. I didn't get that right so listening exactly what we need Um, and I think too it's exciting to be part of something new. And Mm so I'm really, I I don't want to call it stalking, but I will find what (laughs) I'm looking for. And just, I think the energy and the excitement that goes along with it makes, makes it uh, a little bit easier to attract Mm -hmm. the attention of people that it is a risk. I mean, we Mm -hmm. don't hide that fact. This is a startup, you know, this is, this is, you know, exhausting and exhilarating all in one. And, but But yeah, it's, we are growing and we're growing quickly and layering in that, right? And so far we have done a phenomenal job of really hiring the best and the brightest and then trying our best to, you know, get out of their way and empower them and, you know, let them help us mold this into what we've, what we've envisioned.
0: That is really cool. So tell me a little bit about once you've sort of attracted the team member Mm -hmm. and brought them on board. And, And by the way, care to let us in on the secret of how you're finding these people? Do you? Is it word of mouth, or are you get on both. some yeah, platform?
1: Yeah, yeah. Once I mean, once you've hired those rock stars, then I look for referrals from them because, uh, like people, like yeah. like-minded people. You know, mm-hmm. they they know if they're if they're high achievers, they're going to know other high achievers, mm-hmm. and they're not going to, you know, surround them some. Self with somebody that you know wouldn't mm-hmm. hold that up. So referrals are important, even internally of a small company. Um, but those first few hires, it's LinkedIn. It's hours yeah. and hours and hours of scrubbing through LinkedIn. And and my favorite, our early four or five hires weren't people that were looking.
0: Oh, really? Wow. We were.
1: We extracted them from something. They were happily, you know, wow. already employed. So um, finding the skill sets we were looking for, drilling down, I'll spend hours and hours on LinkedIn and. Uh, Drill it down and then start wow. going, stocking begins. I may have
0: to go brush off my uh, LinkedIn profile in case can, this IT thing doesn't work yeah. out. You know, it would
1: be <laughs> good go. to have Just some like other this. options,
0: right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> right. That is awesome. So, uh, you know, one last thing on, on that topic. I like the approach of asking your team for referrals. Mm-hmm. We do the same thing. And that in itself can be a retention mechanism. Absolutely. If, hey, you know what? Uh, uh, I've got this job and, and it's awesome and everything, but uh, my buddy Bob uh, or Janet, Right, yeah. works right next to me, and I brought him or her on, then you know, it's probably going to be an even more sticky relationship where we want folks That's to right. stick around because they contributed to building the team.
1: And and also, you know, it's friends. You, yeah. know, you think, especially in the early days, it's how you make a lot of friends. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you people want to work together, and, yeah, it's a great retention strategy. I love it. All right, so we're
0: going to go to our lightning round. Okay. Uh, this is uh, something we do with uh, every podcast guest. Okay. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about... Uh, what are your plans moving forward? As you look ahead five, 10 years down the road, where where are you going? Where's Matchwell going? We've got
1: big goals. And you really? We, yes. It's really exciting. So we use um, the entrepreneur operating system oh, from yeah. the book Traction, yeah. which EOS. is the yeah. EOS. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we Good. started with that right out of the gates, which was awesome. Nice. So we've got that vision traction organizer that helps lay out our three-year goals and our one-year goal. And we just finished that exercise for 2020. And currently breaking out those in quarter I know right yes yeah well we learned the hard way that uh, this year was a whirlwind and so there were several quarters that we were a bit behind on mm. getting those quarterly reports so we wanted to get ahead of it and um still tweaking it a bit, but that's been a huge, huge help to lay that out to, so we have our guiding star. This is where we're trying to head. This is where we're trying to head. So, you know, we've got lofty, lofty goals for growth, um, into right now we're currently just in Atlanta, but other markets. Oh, great. Um, and so lots of goals on the facility side and clinicians. Wow. We're ready to,
0: that is awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know what, uh, I am teasing a little bit, but uh, it, is, it is tough to get and stay in a groove on planning, mm-hmm. right? I was just having a conversation. I was in a meeting yesterday where a bunch of entrepreneurs were getting together and were talking about the importance of not just strategic planning, but having a cadence of strategic planning. And many times uh, when we've gone through our planning process, whether it's budgeting or strategic plans, uh, it's really easy for time to just pass and especially most people are doing this in December and guess what happens in December you got a lot of people that want to spend time with family and be away and working through that and trying to do big things about planning can be tough and so there have been many times when I'm skidding into the second or third week of January and I'm still trying to finish the plan that literally started three weeks ago
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it's hard because you want to get that right because you know you've got to have these um, goals align and everybody's sort of in agreement. And um, and what I love about the EOS is then, you know, breaking those down. And we're just sort of at the the point now that we're dividing it out a bit more. So far it's just been sort of the executive team and, mm-hmm. you know, everybody else. And right. now we're dividing out into more department level. And it's really exciting um, to have those goals and make sure that we're, we're breaking those down into quarterly bite-sized chunks so that mm-hmm. we can try to attain these lofty goals.
0: I love it. So you mentioned the Melinda Gates book. Mm-hmm. Are you an avid reader? Do you read books like
1: that? Okay, I often? say read. I am an avid audible listener. Sure. I'm a listener. Yeah. It's yeah. game-changing. I went from maybe, not truthfully, one or two books a year, and it could have just been the stage of life with little kids. but. I plow through a ton of books through Audible. All right. Any standouts? Uh, Well, I'll tell you, um, I'm really proud of this, and so I'll I'll, I'll say this. Um, Early on, we asked our employees what was important to them for an organization, and they they really wanted it to be a learning-type organization, so Mm -hmm. we started a book club um, early on. So first year with all employees, we've read four books. we read Five Dysfunctions of the Team, Uh, Good to Great, um, Blitzscaling. And uh, the last one was Crucial Conversations. So oh wow, that's a good one. Too. Three out of those four, other than Blitzscaling, I had read 15 years ago. Oh really? Yes. Oh, wow. You know, good to great. I mean, that was 2007. I don't know when that book first came out, but right. um, read it. You know, early in my career. But reading it again with now through the lens my team, of, right. yes, mm-hmm. was a game changer. So I, I thought, oh, I'll just do this. You know, I've already read these. I already have all these, you know, foundational books right. out under my belt. But, um. That was a really, um, I guess, an unexpected uh, thing for me that I got, I think, even more out of them this time mm-hmm. than I did the last time I read them. Fascinating. So, yeah. yeah. I hadn't so. thought about that. You
0: know, a lot of times we, you know, we'll read a book, and just like you said, you kind of check it off the list. Yeah. People mention some of those big ones, uh, you know, like Good to Great, and for me, uh, one that uh, played a bit, an important role in my life was uh, Robert Kiyosaki's books on Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and all yeah. that stuff. Oh, yeah. I had not thought about you know it's probably important to go back and reread those from time to time and you know we change uh, as uh, as we grow that's in right. our, our professional careers and just uh, age we have different perspectives so
1: yeah the that's five the, the, yeah especially especially five dis, or um yeah five dysfunctions of a team when I read it I I could relate to. Others on the team. This time, I read it. I could relate to the CEO and her stepping under from her. But it's a fable essentially. Right. But her stepping right. in, and I'm like, wow, that's. I did. I was like, she was just like a sidebar to the right. story when I read it 15 years ago. But right. So yeah, now you're living that life practically. It's <laughs> yeah, a little this. bit different.
0: Do you do podcasts?
1: I do. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of favorites. I like uh, How I Built This.
0: Oh, yeah. That's a very popular NPR, right? Yes.
1: Yeah. NPR mm-hmm. and whatever the Harvard Business Review mm-hmm. um, one is called. But yeah, the um, Masters of Scale, I think it's called. Okay. Both read, read um, Hoffman's. Okay. I love gotcha. both of his podcast.
0: Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've heard of that second one. I'll have to check that out. Masters of Scale. I think Masters it's of Scale. All right, good. Well, we'll check that out. Thanks so much. Yeah. Okay, Suzanne how can our listeners that are interested in Matchwell learn more?
1: Absolutely. Well, our website's a good place to start. That's okay. We but if uh, they wanted that's to... wematchwell.com. That's
0: wematchwell.com. Correct. Yeah, wematchwell.com. Okay.
1: We awesome. Yeah, and if they want to reach me, connect uh, through uh, email, it's smasino at wematchwell.com.
0: Awesome. Suzanne, it's been great having you on here. I think on that note, it's time for us to wrap things up. All right. Thank you. Suzanne, for myself and our listeners, thank you for joining us today. I, uh I've enjoyed our time together. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Rocket IT podcast. We hope you found today's episode both inspiring and intriguing. Should you have any suggestions on future topics, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Email us at podcasts at rocketit.com. And finally, a quick plug for Rocket IT. We work with businesses, nonprofits, and municipalities in the areas of IT support, information security, and strategic planning. To learn more about Rocket IT and its services, simply visit rocketit.com. Thank you. Thank you.